To experience God for yourself isn't enough. You've got to teach, instruct, and help others to live and love Him. See? Train up your child. Make disciples. That's worship. That's worship. So worship isn't just singing songs. Worship isn't a matter of what, you know, we just go along with the throng that way. Worship is literally a lifestyle of obedience. Amen? So still small voice is obedience. You know that? We can hear and we can say, he just whispered to me and that's all it took. Sometimes we're, we're fine with that, aren't we? Sometimes what it takes is it takes that he might shout at us. <laughs> How many know that God's willing to shout if he has to? That's not his preferred method, by the way. But he can because his voice is like thunder, right? So he can and he will if that's what we need. Still small voice obedience. Then there's another one, form of obedience I call blind obedience. How many of you have done that before? Blind obedience is just you didn't understand it. You didn't see the end result. You just said, okay, if that's what you're, you're saying, I'll do it. So that's kind of a blind obedience, okay? That's, that's kind of when you can't see the benefit because he says we'll walk by faith, not by sight. So blind obedience is, is that I'm going to do it because I know he said to do it because I know that it's the right thing. We're going to give you on your sheet, you'll see that there's nine things down there that we're going to fill those in rather quickly. Sometimes they call blind obedience a leap of faith. Anybody ever take a leap of faith? I did. I took a leap of faith when I had to leave my job that I'd worked 17 years in and climbed a ladder of success and became, you know, pretty comfortable in that when God said, you're going to Bible school. I said, come on, I'm brilliant. I don't need Bible school. And he said, no, you need humility. <laughs> so we're going to send you to Bible school. So guess what? That's what I, what I did. We left everything. You could have moved us in, in a uh, little the stretch van in the back. You could have moved all of our possessions. And uh, it's just what we had in our heart. And I'll tell you, he moved on my wife's heart biggest because she's the one that had, you know, she was at home with grandbaby and she was there with, with children. And she was just, you know, it was a cool life for her. Nice house, ranch, brick, attached garage, nice little area. Birds used to come and, you know, hang out in the backyard and all that stuff. It was just cool. In-ground pool, heated. It'd have steam rising off of it right now down in Pensacola. And God came and just said, guess what I got for you? Now go. So we went. (laughs) We ended up here. It was kind of a leap of faith. And how about this, that another kind of obedience is at the risk of character assassination. Character assassination. Shame or humility. Or humiliation. You know when Mary, when she got that word and says, how can I become, be pregnant when I haven't known a man? I haven't slept with a man. And the angel Gabriel says, God himself, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. Wow. And Mary, what if she would have said no? Uh, no, I'm not ready for that. I'm betrothed and we decided we're going to wait a couple years till we have a first child. <laughs> well, isn't that nice? You get to do that, do you? Well, is that what you want or is that what God wants? I like what Joel said one time, character education for the kids. He said, uh, maybe it's an old phrase, but I haven't heard it like he said it. What is right isn't always popular, and what is popular isn't always right. You know that? Let me say that again. What is right isn't always popular, and what is popular isn't always right. Because it depends on where your culture lines up. depends on what you're involved in out there. Because what's right in another person's eyes and what, what they have, where they have license or freedom, 
We may not have that kind of freedom. And it's really independent. That's why I say, some people say, Pastor, what do you think about drinking? I said, no, no, I don't. I say, here's the deal. You have to have a conviction that God says something to you. Well, what about, I don't drink strong drink, but, but I like a little wine. Okay, a little wine or a lot of wine? A little wine every now and then or a lot of wine all the time? See, it matters. No, yeah, with no whining. I don't like that kind of wine. So here's the thing. You have to have a conviction that says God has said. And if you, if you, don't, you, you didn't ask God, it might be good that we always ask him, what do you think about this, God? What do you think about this? And he'll tell you. He'll put his finger on it in a nice way. Kind of like the Spock hold or something. You know what I mean? Where all of a sudden you'll, you'll know. And it's just a subtle thing that he does for us. But ask him. Because what is right isn't always popular. And what is popular isn't always what's right. Everybody run into that? So what if Mary said no? In Deuteronomy 11, I started with the first seven verses. I'm going to finish with these. Verses 8 through 17. This is how it reads in the message version. It says, so it's you who are in charge of keeping the entire commandment that I command you today so that you'll have the strength to invade and possess the land that you're crossing the river to make your own. That was called the promised land, by the way. Your obedience will give you a long life on the soil that God promised to give your ancestors and their children, a land flowing with milk and honey. I don't know of any country in the world that is, is more... Uh, like, I know he's talking about Israel here, but, uh, you know, Canaan, that, that land. But I'm telling you, America really has come into that kind of blessing, aren't we? I would say that above every other nation in the world, America is the land flowing with milk and honey. See? So what's happened is we've been brought into that blessing. The land that you're entering to take up ownership isn't like Egypt, the land you left, where you had to plant your own seed and water it yourselves as in a vegetable garden. But the land you are about to cross the river and take for your own land, uh, your own, is a land of mountains and valleys. It drinks water that rains from the sky. It's a land that God, your God, personally tends. He's the gardener. He alone keeps his eye on it all year long. From now on, if you listen obediently to the commandments that I am commanding you today, love God, your God, and serve him with everything you have within you. He'll take charge of sending the rain at the right time both autumn and spring rains, so that you'll be able to harvest your grain, your grapes, your olives. He'll make sure there's plenty of grass for your animals. You have plenty to eat, but be vigilant, lest you be seduced away and end up serving and worshiping other gods. Hmm. See, there's a seduction in America. The seduction is, is a drawing us away. It's making things that really are offensive to God. Somehow, it's okay. It's no big deal. I'm a big boy. I can take it. I can filter it. No, you can't, because the enemy is out to deceive. And if you think you can stand and you're okay, you're probably already deceived. The nature of deception is, is you don't know that you're being deceived. You can tell because if you judge your own life and your own fruit and your own decisions, then you'll be able to say, hmm, wait a minute. And then you might find a friend, somebody who can tell you and say, what about this? Do you think that, uh, what do you see in my life? Ooh, that's a hard one. Because they might actually tell you. But if they speak it in love, folks, which we want to do, speak it in love. Let your words be seasoned as it were with salt, that they might be gracious and palatable by other people. See, there's a good way that we can get on somebody's case in Jesus' name. You see what I mean? There's a good way we can say, wait a minute, we want to question a behavior, an attitude. 
I want to ask you, did God say? Hmm. Remember, that's what the devil did in the garden. He said, has God said? If they would have just said, yep, that's what he said. Everything would have been different. But instead of obedience, they went down to making their own choice, which we know was disobedience. And that's where sin entered into the world. So we're born under sin. Well, what if Mary said no? Could she have said no? Could she have said no? You think it was, didn't matter what she said. It was, if she didn't say, let it be done according to your way. Look on the bulletin there. I think it's printed out, Luke chapter 1. It actually says right there for you. Look at the very last line. It tells you the story that when Gabriel greeted her, I'm not going to read it for time's sake. You got it before you. But it says she was, she was thoroughly shaken, wondering what, be, what, what was behind a greeting like that. You guys ever know anybody when they greeted you with such kindness and niceness? You said, oh, here it comes. You know, too good to be true. They're, they want something. And so Mary is in that place when the angel came to her that it's kind of like, oh, you want something. Well, here's what I want to tell you. When Mary hears this, for 400 years, God has been silent. He hasn't been speaking. He hasn't been revealing himself to anybody. Zero, nada, nobody. He hasn't been, he, been, been heard. He hasn't been seen for 400 years. That's just like Egypt, just like the captivity, being in bondage. People in bondage with no voice from God, no direction from him. There was no rebuke coming forth. It was just, it was just silence. And so everybody's going about, milling about, doing their own thing, living life. And they know Jehovah is real, but they haven't heard from him. They don't know what's going on. And so they just plod on. Some of them, like Mary, she would have been reading scriptures. A lot of the good Jews of the day would have been reading the old, the old scrolls. And they would have been having their little times in the synagogues, which is a, something that came about in those 400 years. A synagogue, a place where we could get, let's talk about what he used to do. Not experience it, let's just talk about it. Do you know how many churches there are today where they get together and talk about what God used to do? I don't want to talk about what God used to do. I want to talk about the now God, the ever-present God who's in the midst of doing things right now in everybody's life. See, that's important for you and me because you've got to tell people what he's doing because that's, that's how we know because we get to see it. We get to recognize it. We get to hear it. Look it down at the very bad bottom. It says there that um, the angel says in verse 36, And did you know that your cousin Elizabeth conceived a son old as she is? Everyone called her barren, and here she is six months pregnant. Nothing, you see, is impossible with God. And Mary said, yes, I see it all now. I am the Lord's maid, ready to serve. Let it be with me just as you say. Let it be with me just as you say. Two questions. Can you think of an event, crisis, or time where you know that your obedience changed something? What do you think? Where you know that when God said you should do something, you did it, and something changed as a result of that. Do you remember a time like that? Maybe it was that you didn't fall in sin. Maybe you resisted a temptation. Maybe it's that you were a blessing to somebody else that they needed to hear what you had to say right in that moment. And let me ask you the last question there. says, is there something that God wants your yes or no to today? He's asking you to. Follow him. He's asking you to lay something down. He's asking you to pick something else up. He's telling you to, whoa, Nelly. Or he's saying, let's get going. Let's get moving. 
It's important. What if Mary said no? Well, the first blank there, if you're wondering, is what if Joseph said no? Remember, because now he's got a wife who's pregnant. looks like they had sex before marriage. Yeah, that's what it was. And that was, that was, oh, talk about taboo. We don't do that. Like nowadays in our country, no big deal. Everybody does it. Matter of fact, sometimes they don't even get married for it. They just say, give me a baby. And so they get a baby, but they don't really want any attachment. So that's the way our cultures come, so far away from God, what God wants. And so Joseph says, I'm going to take her and I'm going to hide her away. I love her, but you know what? She's blown it. I'm going to take her and, and put her away so that she, she, actually it'll spare her, but it'll spare me too. Because everybody's going to say, come on, Holy Spirit came upon her? Yeah, right, whatever. We know how people get pregnant. That's what it would have been like in their day. So instead, God visits Joseph in a dream. and says, no, no, don't send her away. This is of me. You, this stuff doesn't happen this way. Yeah, well, you've been wanting miracles. You wanted to hear from me. I've just spoke. Now I'm speaking to you. I spoke to her, speaking to you. Wow. See, it didn't happen the way we thought it might happen. So all of a sudden, we're, we're saying, no, that can't be God. Oh, yeah, it can be God. See, if you're not planning on miracle signs and wonders, you need to start planning on miracle signs and wonders because God might just do it that way. He doesn't have to. He just might. What if Jesus said no? That's your second blank. What if Joseph said no? What if Jesus said no? What if he said in the garden, oh, it wasn't the way I thought you were going to do it. It's not what I, I didn't hear your voice loud enough. So um, I'm not taking this cup. Instead of a heart that's submitted that says, if possible. Instead, how about, nope, Papa, this cup, I'm not drinking this cup. Instead, he said, if possible, let this cup pass before me. But nonetheless, no pause, no long hours, walking back and forth, wondering, hmm, should I do? What should I do? But nonetheless, not my will, but yours be done. Well, the last one is, what if, what if God said no? <laughs> what if God said no? What if God said no to the whole thing? But, you know, now you might want to say, is that even possible? Because God set everything in motion. And you might say, God's in charge and nobody can do whatever they want to. They only do what he wants them to do. And that would be a lie because we live our lives just the opposite, don't we? We live our lives with a testimony of the woundedness that we carry, the scars that we have because of decisions that we've made. It's very clear that he lets us do what we want to do. But he's always drawing us. He's always expressing his heart to us. The big blank says, well, I guess that before that is what might not happen if you say no. If you say no to his leading to go up and talk to somebody, to speak to somebody, to give them a little help with their gas or groceries or utilities. What if it's a matter of you being the hug that they're going to get and that's the hug that God wanted them to have and they'll know it was a holy hug. What if you don't do what he's calling you to do? Could change everything. Obedience is based on an absolute. That's the word, the blank. It's based on an absolute. For the people of God, the chosen under his rule, they live to a meticulous law code. That's what it was called. The Torah is what they did with the commandments that, that God gave. They took the Torah and all the religious people began to really whittle it down and make, really, let's define this better than thou shalt not covet. Let's go into all the reasons why and let's develop these things. So 
The Torah then becomes some principle of over 600 laws or rules or restrictions or little nitpicky red tape, let's call it. And that's what Jesus comes into. After, after man's put his hands on religion, God comes in and says, he rebukes religion. He rebukes the Pharisees and all those who have established all these rules and policies. And he comes in and says, wait a minute. There's a simplicity to faith. There's something I wanted you to get that was easy. That's what I've done. I've, I've, I've sought out to, to make it easy on you. And here you are. You're doing all this stuff, which is, which is totally making it difficult on people. See, it's a law code. And so because of that, they, they couldn't keep it. They couldn't be free under it. But it taught them how much they needed a just judge. That's what it did. How much they needed mercy. That's what the law does, is it shows us because we can't keep the law, we never could, God never intended for the law to be the rule of order. It's by grace that that he didn't wipe out the people in Noah's day, the people in David's day, the people in Jesus' day. See, there's a remnant. He left a remnant. Why? Because he's always looking for just a, just give me a, just give me a, just give me a little bit and see what I'll do with it, God says. Just give me a mustard seed and see what I'll do with it. Here's Galatians chapter 3. Those who depend on the law to make them right with God are under his curse. Yeah, that's right, you're cursed. For the scriptures say, cursed is everyone who does not observe and obey all the commands that are written in God's book of the law. So it is clear that no one can be made right with God by trying to keep the law. For the scriptures say it, it is through faith that a righteous person has life. This fa- way of faith is very different from the way of law, which says it is through obeying the law that a person has life. But Christ has rescued us from the curse pronounced by the law. When he was hung on the cross, he took upon himself the curse for our wrongdoing. For it is written in the scriptures, cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. Do you remember what happened to Elizabeth's husband who... Didn't believe. Do you remember that? The angel visited him too. He was in, he was a priest. And he was in making his his offerings. Do you remember that? Yeah, he shut his mouth, didn't he? I pray he never does that to me. He shut his mouth because of unbelief. He let him speak only when there was, everybody's thinking about what they're going to name John. And they're coming up with all these wonderful top 100 baby names. And they're figuring out what they're going to name him. And then God says, okay, time for you to speak. So he spoke out and he said, his name will be John. Wow. You know, I'll bet God never had to give him another lesson the rest of his life on obedience, on faith. Obedience can be heard and seen. I think that's in your being quiet or shutting up can be obedience. Some people need to shut up and some people need to speak up. And if you're a person who's always shutting up, you might be asking God if you're supposed to speak up. And if you're a person who's always speaking, you might be one who says, is this the time where I'm supposed to shut up? Do you want me to say anything, God? It comes natural. Hmm, want me to say anything, God? It doesn't come so natural. He might just tell you Yes. Yelling, proclaiming, or declaring can be obedience. Being loud, people will say, well, I'm not like you, Pastor. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not obnoxious like that. I say, oh, yes, you are. No. 
yelling, proclaiming, declaring? How about taking a step of faith? See, that always requires obedience because it's tied to faith as a means of pleasing God. The Bible says without faith, it's impossible to please God. That means without obedience, it's impossible to please God. What's he want you to obey? By faith. Romans says this in chapter 5. I put it in your notes, so I'm only going to read a little portion of it. Verse 17 says, If by the transgression of the one, death reigned through the one, Adam, much more, those who receive the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one, Jesus Christ. So then as through one transgression there resulted condemnation to all men, even, even through one act of righteousness there resulted justification of life to all men. For as through the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, even so through the obedience of the one the many will be made righteous. The law came in so that the transgression would increase. But where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So that as sin reigned in death, even so grace would reign through Christ, through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Well, okay, that's fine. So he made us righteous. He made us good enough. He made us where we can have a relationship back with the Father. Well, how can you know what to do to be obedient? Do you know what to do to be obedient? Do you know, should you just do everything that you hear? No. Everything the preacher says, everything you get off the internet, because we know everything on the internet is true. Right? So how can you know? Here it is. First one I gave you, test the spirit. It said test the spirit. God actually says test the spirit. See if it's from me. That's number one. Number two says get wise counsel. Get wise counsel. Wise counsel literally doesn't mean go to somebody that's going to tell you what you want to hear. You got that? Wise counsel means you should see something in their lives that is set apart. An elder in a church, a pastor, those are always somebody who's in leadership in a church. You don't get the leadership without having certain marks about your life, certain standards that, that you live by. Because guess what? You incur a stricter judgment when you rise up into a place of leadership, not by just a, a pastor or the boss, if you will, but by God himself. So seek wise counsel and, and take, take that, and what you'll hear is you'll hear a clear stream of God's voice and his wisdom coming through in three or four or five different people. Proverbs says there's wisdom in a multitude of counsel. That doesn't mean you need to go out and tell everybody your life story. Don't tell them all the ugliness going on. See, you shouldn't do that to anybody because they weren't built to handle that. But godly men and women, they've been equipped and empowered by God to carry that kind of a burden. They've also... Got, got his ear. So what happens is he hears them and they hear him. And that's what you want is wisdom, which is not earthly, but godly wisdom. So wise counsel, that's number two. Number three, does it resonate in your own heart or spirit? In other words, when you hear something that God's saying that you ought to do, it probably is something he's spoken before. It will probably be like all of a sudden this warm kind of fuzzy feeling, so to speak, that you get that says, I know this is what he said. I don't understand it all. I just know this. I don't know much more than that. I just know this. And so what will happen is it, it kind of is like yay and amen kind of inside of you. Yes and amen. This is what I'm supposed to do. So does it resonate in your heart? Number four, will it glorify self or people or God? Who's it glorify? If it's all about waving hands and getting attention and drawing people to yourself, 
I'm going to tell you that's not him. That's not what he's saying. Though that might happen when you're obedient to God, like a Billy Graham kind of thing. See, he might do that, where all of a sudden people are laying their, their, their sick ones in, in Peter's shadow, that even the shadow, his shadow might touch them and they might be healed. See, God might do that with you, but if that's what you're going for is for the glory, probably not God. He wants you to, be, he wants you to bring him glory, but he'll be the one who brings it about. Don't seek after glory. Seek to give him glory. Amen? Number five, can you follow the trail? Can you follow the trail? What's that mean? That I, I think I put down, maybe I put down prophetic or big or vast. In other words, where does it lead? Is it up or down? Does it lead up or down? Can I follow the trail? If I say, okay, I'm going to set myself to do this, can I see where that's going? And is it going toward God or away from God? Is it exalting God, bringing glory to him? Glory to me. So you can determine because you can actually look ahead and anticipate it. The Bible says, who, when he first begins to do something, to endeavor, even to build, doesn't first consider the cost. That's what I'm talking about. You can actually say, if I do this, these are the things, the domino effect, this is what's going to happen because I made this choice or this decision. Some of you have seen that on the backside, right? Hindsight is twenty twenty. That means it was predictable. You kind of knew it going in, but you said, throwing caution to the wind, what the heck? And you just did it. And guess what you got? You got what you knew was coming. And in the end, you said, wow, God, I'm sorry. And he said, it's all right. I'm taking it. Let's not do that again. Can you follow the trail? Number six, is it biblical? Is it biblical according to the nature and the character of God? Is it, is it is it biblical in, in what he's saying today? Not of what he did back in David's day. Is it biblical according to where he says, Jesus says, you know, when they smack you on one side, don't pick up your sword and cut their heads off. He says, no, no, turn, give them the other side. They demand that you walk one mile with them, walk two. See, that's, that's, a, different, that's a different thing than what the Old Testament God was. Is over here, it looks like he's changed. He's the same God. He's just working according to another principle now. He's both of those all at the same time. His wrath, that kind of thing, is coming again. That, that comes at the end of days. We don't want any part of that, do we? Is it biblical? Number seven, is the end result, is the end result good? That's my own. Is the end result good? You can judge the fruit along the way. That's what you do. It's called introspection. Is you look at your life and you say, okay, what do you say, God? And what am I doing? How, how good am I doing with this? I do a blood test as a diabetic. It's, it's called the A1C. Diabetics hate that thing and if they're doing bad, and they love it if they're doing good. A1C shows your blood control or sugar control over, over a period of three months to six months. So if you're really being disciplined and self-controlled and you know, taking care of yourself, your number A1C will be in a good level. If not, it shows. So you think... Nobody knows you're stuffing your face with that stuff. Oh, yeah, it shows up in your blood work. So is, is the end result good? You can judge the fruit. I can look at that in my testing daily, three times a day or so. I can look at that and see, oh, I knew I shouldn't have had that oatmeal and that PB&J sandwich and those potato chips again. Then what? Well, when are we going to change this? What are you, stupid? No, I'm not stupid. So when are we going to change this? God help me. Is the end result good? Number eight, who is working the hardest to be or to do good? Who's working the hardest? 
When you find yourself, see, um, working so hard, it might be that you're actually deceived thinking that you can work your way out of it, that it's something that you can actually set your hand to that plow and you can bring it about. And when God's saying, give that to me, I'll handle that, I'll take care of it for you, you just, be still. God might just be saying, you stop trying to make this happen on your own. Has he ever told you that, by the way? You stop. Stop it. Stop it now. That's what we used to tell the kids. Stop it now. Actually, we told our little golden or yellow lab that. Stop it now. Stop it now, God says. Okay, get going. Ephesians 2 is what I'm going to come back to a reference for you there. The last one, number nine, says, do you have his peace? Your blanks are, who is working the hardest to be or do good? Number nine, do you have his peace and rest in the process? Folks, those are the ways that you'll be able to say, God, is this what you're calling me to do? If, if you don't feel like he's saying anything, then we need to press in. We need to pray and we need to ask God, please speak to me into my situation, into my life now. So here's what Ephesians says. He took our sin-dead lives and made us alive in Christ. He did all this on his own. I'm, I'm out of chapter 2, verse uh, 1 through 10. He took our sin-dead lives and made us alive in Christ. He did this all on his own with no help from us. Then he picked us up and set us down in the highest heaven in company with Jesus, our Messiah. Now, God has us where he wants us. With all the time in this world and the next to show to shower grace and kindness upon us in Christ Jesus. Here it is, the crux of Christianity. This is the whole message. Saving is all his idea and all his work. All we do is trust him enough to let him do it. It's God's gift from start to finish. We don't play the major role. If we did, we'd probably go around bragging that we'd done the whole thing. No, we neither make nor save ourselves God does both the making and the saving. He creates each of us by Christ Jesus to join him in the work he does, the good work he has gotten ready for us to do, work we had better be doing. Wow. Many of you know that it says that we're saved by by faith through grace, not, not a matter of our own works. Did you hear what God's saying? Put that down. Be still. Shh. It says in Hebrews, even though Jesus was God's son, he learned obedience from the things he suffered. If you think, phooey, it doesn't do any good to be obedient because look at the pain, the suffering, the diagnosis, the disorders, the calamity in my life, the vehicles breaking down, all the things that are going wrong. Why are we even bothering with church? Forget God. He's obviously forgotten us. You know why? Because we follow the example of Jesus. And Jesus, he learned obedience from the things he suffered. If you're not suffering, you ought to be wondering why not. If there ain't something bad happening in your life, you ought to be saying, hmm, whose side am I on? Because the guy who, who doesn't want me to, to, to win, he makes it look pretty smooth sailing. Did you ever notice how evil was kind of smooth sailing? Man, I, I was successful in evil. I'm telling you, I was successful as a sinner. How many of you were successful sinners? Huh? Yeah, if you know what, if you get the heart of what I'm talking about, you were good at sinning. Oh, you weren't good by standard of good. You were just good sinners. You partied hardy. You were doing the things that defiled other people. You were doing whatever you wanted to. You were really good. 
but really bad and really far off from what God had for us. Here's what I love. Isaiah 59. I want you to read that for yourselves. It's one of the most prayed passages, I think, of the Bible. 59 verse 1 says, Listen, the Lord's arm is not too weak to save you, nor is his ear too deaf to hear you call. And then at the very end of this, it gives us a little idea of what, what's happening in our world today. I've referred to that many times. But in chapter 60, verse 1, at the end of all this dialogue, it says that, that verse 20 of, of chapter 59 says, The Redeemer will come to Jerusalem to buy back those in Israel who've turned from their sins, says the Lord. And this is my covenant with them. My spirit will not leave them, and neither will these words I have given you. They will be on your lips and on the lips of your children and your children's children forever. I, the Lord, have spoken. Arise, Jerusalem. Arise, people. Arise, children. Let your light shine for all to see. For the glory of the Lord rises to shine on you and in you and through you. Your last blank, his promise for our obedience is his light in our life. His promise for our obedience is his light in our life. And you know what he says his light does? His light illuminates our path. His light, it directs us. His, his light, it shows us the way. You know what it does? His light is the place where we find joy, where we'll find delight. See, we want his light. We need his light. I want to offer for you guys today that maybe obedience is a struggle for you. And as our prayer team is up to the front, maybe, I want you just to think about that. If you find yourself in a cycle of sin, then you're, you're, you're not able to do this on your own. And it's time for you to surrender. And by coming forward today, it says that I surrender again. No, you haven't done that many times. I've been up here. You haven't come to the altar. So stop saying you've been doing that because you've been doing it according to your way, not in the congregation where we come forward. It's a humbling thing that we come forward and we stand here and say, I'm, I, can't, I can't do it, man. I'm a, I'm a wreck. I need, I need God's help. And so, God, I surrender. Prayer team, they know that's exactly how they'll lead you, to surrender to God. So if that's you, you continue to, to go from, from cesspool to cesspool, if that's how you're living your life, if you're not having victory, then the invitation is for you to come up and do something about it that you haven't done before. Come up and lay it down and ask for his help. Give it to him. Amen? Let's pray. Prayer team will be up here shortly. Those of us, if you're helping with the parade, I'm just going to ask for you to gather in the fellowship room and we have, uh, we'll do a quick lunch and give instruction and then we'll go out to uh, be a blessing. Amen? Thank you, Jesus. Father, just touching the tip of the iceberg, I'm thank you that I thank you that Mary said yes. I'm thanking you that Joseph said yes. I'm thanking you that Jesus said yes. I'm thanking you, God, that you said yes. I thank you, God, that you made your intentions known from the very beginning. For Christ was crucified before the foundation of the world. And so, God, it's it's really not that you're playing some big game. It's really that you're just wanting your people to rise up into the place of their inheritance. It's that you want us to come into the place where, God, we would reflect your very character. You chose us back then. You choose us all over again. You chose us in that day, and you choose us now. And, God, it's no different for us. You've revealed yourself to us. If it was the angel Gabriel or if it was a dream or a vision we had from you directly, that you've drawn us to yourself. 
And so we agree that, God, we're a covenant people, that we're your kids, that you're our father. That's what you've made yourself. You've said that you would be our shepherd, that we would be your sheep. We will be your people, and you will be our God. And that's our choice. We ask you to help us with obedience in all things. God, we might be obedient in the big things, but we're, we're missing it with the little things. And we don't want to live by that law code. We want to live according to that grace, God, but we don't want to take that grace for granted. So God, help us to really be changed in our lives, that God, we might be a witness, that people would see that light in us, that God, they'll be drawn to the same victory that we've known. And God, I pray for victory in our lives, that Father, we're not to those who are laboring, that we're, we're, we're under a big sigh, but God, that we can rejoice. That, God, you would put your joy, make it obvious on our li- in our lives, God, on our face. And, Father, I pray that you're going to help each and every, every one of us as we want to obedient, be obedient to the, to the smallest letter, to the smallest aspect of what you've called us to. And that, God, you're going to do great and grand things with that obedience. And we receive that, God, the blessing that you have for those, if we'll obey. And we say, yes, we will. We make that decision right now this morning, God. Settle it in our hearts. We will be obedient to you, Lord Jesus, boss, king, in Jesus' name. And everyone who said, yay, amen. Yeah, hey, God bless you.